Mind, the show where two dirty combo players strive to be a terrible influence on the casual commander community. I'm your host, Akia. And I'm Cameron. Just a warning, we do swear on this show, so if you're listening with children who somehow haven't heard the F word, that's great. They should be exposed to the real world. What's our topic today, Akia? Well, today, as our inaugural episode, I thought we could introduce ourselves and talk about possibly the most hated archetype in our format. What do you say to that? I think that sounds great. Uh, But before we get to that, how about we get into those introductions? Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, I'll start off. My name's Cameron. Uh, Most people call me Cam. I got into Magic about a year to a year and a half ago, I guess, at Mm -hmm. this point. I started playing in Unstable, of all sets. And my buddy just convinced me to go up to the shop, do a draft. I had no idea what I was doing. It was a great time. Um, But I had been playing board games and just gaming in general for a really long time before that. I started, of course, like most kids do, playing like a Game Boy or PlayStation, uh, Xbox a really long time ago, playing board games, played Scrabble. I've always been really into gaming and that kind of stuff. I learned to play poker when I was eight. <laughs> uh, wow, that's young. I know. My uncle played poker, and he wanted to teach me. My my big card game uh, was Egyptian Rat Screw. I've never even heard of that. Really? So. <laughs> that that game ends friendships. Um, <laughs> it is a uh, it is a dexterity based card game. Oh God! Uh, yeah, and it, it's a slapping game. Um, okay. So uh, you have to, like, it's a lot about pattern recognition and stuff like that. Um, kind of like Slapjack, but a lot more complicated. Okay. Um, and then you have to slap um, the table at, to pull the pile, and the person with all the cards at the end wins. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it is kind of like uh, Slapjack. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of like, but it's a but, lot more complicated. Yeah. There's a lot of, like... You slap runs, and you slap if you see a king and queen together, and, and oh, stuff man. like that. Yeah, it's really complicated. Jeez. Um, <laughs> um, I one thing throughout all of this gaming though is that I've always been a little bit more competitive than a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like winning, and as I got older and began playing more and more video games, that became much more apparent with the type of games that I played. Um, One of the games that I have the most hours in, for example, is a game called Counter-Strike. And that is a highly competitive game. Mm. And uh, it was one of my favorites for a really long time. I've also played uh, games like Dota, and that's another super, super competitive one. Um, And in Magic, I kind of carry a lot of that over, but I also am wanting to have fun. uh, And want to have a good time, and that's one of the reasons that I like EDH and Commander so much is because it's kind of like the fun format, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've also played uh, like Hearthstone, for example, and in every card game that I've played like this, I always liked the more controly and uh, slow kind of decks. More uh, in Magic, I like combo oriented decks. And uh, I really love Magic's one of the best games for this. I really love playing in a graveyard-centric deck, like Muldrotha is my favorite deck that I own. Uh, Muldrotha was also the first commander that I built. (laughs) Your Muldrotha deck is actually very good. I really like Muldrotha. That could be because I run like 12 tutors in that deck. (laughs) But but it's pretty fun. Um, But yeah, I generally like to play a lot more controlly, a lot more slow, and then get to the combo 
and try to win from that point. Yeah. Um, how about you? Like, what do you like to play, and what was your introduction into Magic? Well, I have been playing Magic a very long time. Yeah. Um, I got into Magic uh, in 2006 during the Time Spiral block. Um, my very, very first deck uh, was the Is It Starter deck from Guild Pact. Cause, nice. Uh, when I was getting into it, they were still selling those at Walmart. <laughs> um, I actually... What uh, about a year ago? I went out and I rebought that intro deck just so I would did you have really? It. Yeah, just so I would actually have a copy of it. That's really cool. Um, but um, me, the way I like to play is combo control. I yeah. I like being I uh, I like those pinpoint control plays uh, where you know enough about all the decks in your in your meta where you know exactly where to place your control to disrupt them yeah and then I like doing a combo finish uh, of one sort or another um, <clears throat> now interesting thing about me is yeah. I'm actually an occultist um, I study chaos magic and uh, traditional uh, witchcraft and European uh, occult lore um, and, uh, what's really funny is, you know, I grew up in a really conservative, uh, family, a really, uh, you know, conservative Christian family and, you know, the church and my parents always told me that <laughs> magic and D and D are a gateway to the occult and Make you I, worship demons. Yeah, absolutely. And ironically, well, um, I started playing magic in D and D and now I'm an occultist. <laughs> so apparently they were right. They were right all along, <laughs> Right man. all along, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, you know, I, I like playing EDH because it's a really, really fun format. I mm. like playing on the more competitive side of EDH, but I don't like playing... I don't like necessarily playing CEDH. Yeah, I would say you're probably one of the more competitive people in our meta. Like, yeah, absolutely. I, I think so. Um I, I like playing against CEDH decks, but I wouldn't want to play in a meta that was just CEDH. Yeah. That that probably wouldn't be um, the most fun, I don't think. Because I think there's a lot of fun that can come with playing a janky deck or, like, just casual, you know, uh, magic. I think that is a really big part of the format as well, is being able to kind of play on whatever power level that you want. Exactly. You know? But we do like to <laughs> encourage the playgroup to play a little higher power level. True. Um, would you say, Cam, that we're a bad influence on our playgroup? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would say we're probably <laughs> one of the worst influences. Yeah, probably. probably. One of them. We, we definitely have set off some arms races with uh, <laughs> yeah. other players in our meta. Yeah. Um, but uh, one of the things that we want to talk about in the show overall is how to mitigate the arms race so it doesn't get nasty. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, we really want to... We want to be a bad influence on your playgroup. <laughs> yeah. But we want to teach you how to be a bad influence and still have fun. And still have friends. And still have friends, exactly. It's important. It's very important. 
Um, so kind of our uh, our mission statement here at Inside Johnny's Mind is we really want to inspire other Johnnies. Uh, we want to uh, give other Johnnies the benefit of our experience and our knowledge of uh, these archetypes that we're going to yeah. talk about, um, of, of our knowledge of the psychographics, of our knowledge of politics and stuff like that. Absolutely. Um, we also want to try and break down, like you were kind of talking about, a lot of the barriers to entry that a lot of people have. Because magic, looking at it from the outside, can be kind of a hard game to get into. Not only Absolutely. because you know you have to pay money and buy cards and that can look expensive, but um, it, a lot of the times, especially in an eternal format like Commander, you feel like you need to know a whole lot of shit to really kind of get into it and be good at it. Absolutely. And what we're going to try and do through this show is give you a good working knowledge of overall strategies so you can recognize them when you see them and be able to play them and also to counter them. Yeah, be able to know how to interact and know how to do things effectively so that you don't feel like you're left out and left behind. Absolutely. And finally, uh, we really want to help the other psychographics understand us. We are Johnnies, or Jennies, if you identify as females. Um, Johnnies are really into combos. They're into cool card interactions. They're into um, the fun of building a deck and the per the way you can infuse your personality into that deck. Yeah. Um, and one of the reasons we wanted to make this podcast because we're Johnnies is Johnnies don't like being told no. <laughs> um, uh, that's one of the things Mark Rosewater talks a lot about when he's designing Johnny cards is he designs cards that look bad on the surface. Yeah. Um, but then the Johnny players go, hey, wait a second. <laughs> exactly. Wait a second. Um, so that's a Johnny or a Jenny. Uh, a Timmy or a Tammy um, is the player who likes to have fun. Mm -hmm. They like to do big, splashy things. They like to affect the board. They like to slam down their giant creature or do their giant spell and watch everybody's eyes go wide. Yeah. It's like uh, Impervious Great Worm. Exactly. It's like the archetypal, like, perfect Timmy card. Exactly. That <laughs> is the perfect Timmy card. Um, and the last, uh, the last psychographic is the Spike. Um, yeah. The Spike player just wants to win. They're all about tight plays. They're all about tight mana curve. They're all about really, really understanding their game plan and their opponent's pl game plan and it's not win at any cost. It's they want to actually show that they understand the game better than their opponents. Yeah, they want to show that I've put a lot of time and a lot of effort into finding the perfect cards to make this deck and be able to win with it effectively, efficiently, and consistently. Absolutely. And everyone who plays Magic has a little bit of each of these archetypes yeah. in them. Um, you're probably going to identify a little more with one uh, psychographic or another. Right. Like, we both are Johnnies, but I would say that there's a lot of people that would kind of be willing to say that we're also a little bit spiky. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. A little, a little bit. A lot, a yeah. lot spiky. Yeah. <laughs> Just... <laughs> 
Just a little bit. I mean, how, <laughs> how often do I talk about Mana Curve at the shop? A I lot. Mean, yeah. A lot. Exactly. We were talking about that earlier today, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah. So, to get this episode really kicked off and get it started, we're going to begin by talking about a widely sti- stigmatized and one of the most hated archetypes in the format, which is mass land destruction. And more specifically, we're going to talk about how to do it right. Um, Akia, you have a fairly notorious deck in our meta that wins pretty much primarily through the use of mass land destruction, but you aren't hated out of the group or away from the table whenever you bring the deck out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Do you think you could talk a little about what you've done, why, and how you've managed to make something like mass land destruction more acceptable and fun for uh, everybody to play with and play against? Well, I wasn't always so good at it yeah. uh, to begin with. Um, but before we get into that, uh, let's talk a little bit about why you should play Mass Land Destruction. Right. Um, you know, the social contract, which a lot of other podcasters like to talk about, um, really discourages playing Mass Land Destruction because it is, air quotes, not fun. Yeah. Um, but the problem with that is it allows green decks to just run absolutely fucking rampant. Yeah, like for real. Uh, Green's ability to land ramp instead of having to artifact ramp is one of the most powerful things in this game. Almost primarily because mass land destruction is so stigmatized and hated. And so they can just do whatever they want because nobody is functioning as a check on them. Exactly. And the thing is, if you have listened to the Command Zones episode on uh, game win statistics, mm. the person who has the most lands at the end of the game is far more likely to win yeah. than anyone else in that game. And the the reason that you play Mass Land Destruction is to cut down... On that win percentage. Absolutely. So that's one of the reasons that you should play Mass Land Destruction. But another one is it's fun. If you do it right, it is powerful and it's really fun. And I can I think Cam can attest to it. It's not that unfun to play against if it's done correctly. It's really not, yeah. It's like we were saying, you have this deck that we're going to expand upon a whole lot in this episode. And nobody is hating you out of the game or telling you to not play that deck or that they hate this deck or anything, even though you run like most of the really good mass land destruction spells in this color. So there are obviously right ways and wrong ways to do it. And you have figured out a right way to do it. Absolutely. But it's really easy to do wrong. Mm. Um, If you do mass land destruction because you think it's funny. Yeah. You're an asshole. Yeah. And for real. people shouldn't want to play with you. They they really should not want to play with you. So that stigma is there for a reason. Yeah. And we're not here to tell you that that stigma is wrong, that you should just play it because it's funny. We're here to tell you how to play it correctly and how to overcome the stigma so that you can counter these really strong strategies. Yeah. Now, when I first got into Commander way, way long time ago, when I first started playing, I started with a Niv-Mizzet combo deck. (laughs) And very quickly, I realized that 
painted a target on my head. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to do something that was a little more interactive. So I decided to play Mass Land Destruction. Um, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a good idea. Yeah, it was, it, that's, it, that's a really good <laughs> thought process. I want to play something more fun and interactive. Mass Land Destruction. <laughs> well, okay, so... In my defense, mm-hmm. I was new to Commander. I was new to multiplayer formats. Right. Um, I was thinking about this as a war of attrition, and that is a perfectly acceptable way to win a war, yeah. is through attrition. True. It's not necessarily the best way to win a war, but it is a viable strategy to win a war. Wars have been won with mass land destruction exactly. as well. They would just salt the <laughs> earth as they left, and then they win. Exactly. Um, so I got kicked out of that first playgroup. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure there were a couple of people who wanted to literally punch me in the face. Mm-hmm. Um, I I had a habit then, and still sometimes do, of laughing when I'm nervous. Right. And I could read the table, and I could see that everyone was upset with me because I blew up lands four times in a row. Yeah. Um, and... I would laugh nervously. Yeah. Um, it's a tilting thing. It, yeah. Yeah. It, and that made everyone all the more upset with me. Um, so if you do play mass <laughs> land destruction, don't laugh at people's pain. They, they, they won't like that. Yeah. People generally don't like that. Some people like that, but uh, <laughs> not generally not the not the kind of people that you're going to be playing magic with and Probably you're not going to want to do it at the table the, the the kind of people who like that are the kind of people you find in sex <laughs> <laughs> and they have every right to be there exactly because it was their choice but um so you said that you got kicked out no one wanted to play with you yes. because you played mass land destruction you still play mass land destruction i do but you don't have that problem i don't have that problem i took a long hard, deep soul-searching look Mm -hmm. at my deck. Um, And we'll go over who the commander is here in a second. And I realized what the problem was. And the problem was that I was playing it like a war of attrition. Wars of attrition are not fun. Nor are they fast. They're not fun. They're not fast. Yeah. People want to play the game. And when you blow up all the lands, nobody gets to play the game, including you. Yeah. Unless you do it in the way that we're going to cover in this episode. Right. So, how to do it right. Yeah. This is the hard part. Yes. When you do it, when you blow up all the lands, you need to win. Like, quickly. Yeah, like right then, if possible. (laughs) If possible, right then. Um, We like to call this the lock and then the clock. Yeah. If you are locking people out of the game, you need to put them on a very fast clock. Not a 20-turn clock. No. Not a 10-turn clock. No. Not even... A 5-turn clock is better, especially yeah. when everyone's playing land go, land go, Yeah, I was going to say, go. those turns go a hell of a lot quicker. Because yeah. it's like a 5-turn clock in this situation might go by in, you know, a minute and a half. Yeah, Because it's exactly. just going to be like pass, 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 pass. Um, but you, again, lock and clock. Yep. And preferably a really fast clock. Nobody likes 
masturbatory magic. No. Nobody likes to sit there and watch one person play the game while they sit back and have to watch you. That's what causes people to play on their phones during games. That's what causes people to miss important plays during games. And we're here to try and encourage tight play. We're here to try and encourage good play. Absolutely. Um, so we've been kind of teasing the deck that you're running yes. uh, throughout this episode so far. Uh, how about we start getting into it? You're in mono red. Who yep. is your commander? My commander is my boo, Jaya Ballard Task Mage. Uh, she was kind of the proto planeswalker, and surprise, surprise, she's from the set I started in, Time Spiral. Hey! <laughs> so uh, she's one red, red for a 2 2 human spell shaper. Um, she has three abilities the first, one red, and tap, discard a card, destroy target blue permanent. When you are playing Mass Land Destruction, this is very, very, very important. Because your biggest enemy at the table is the blue player. Absolutely. <laughs> um, pretty much any time that you're going to be playing a deck like this, your biggest enemy is going to be that blue player. Yes. Because they're going to be holding their mana up, looking at you, yep. waiting for you to do something that they don't like. Exactly. So if you can spend one red and a card in your deck... To destroy one of their permanents, yeah. to put them on the back foot, that is choice. That is an excellent, excellent strategic option. Her second ability is one and a red. Tap, discard a card. Jaya Ballard Task Mage deals three damage to target creature or player. A creature dealt damage this way can't be regenerated this turn. So this is what gives you early game interaction. Right. Um... <clears throat> We'll talk about the combos but the later, but the combos that we run in this deck are really, really, really mana-intensive. <laughs> yeah. So you need to be ramping, ramping, ramping early, and Jaya gives you a way to interact in the early game while you're doing pretty much nothing other than ramping. Right. Especially because in this deck you're playing what a lot of people kind of call Big Red. Yes. Um, which is, again, like he was saying, very large spells, late game plays. And whenever you're playing a deck like this, especially with Mass Land Destruction, people might want to kill you yes. whenever you're playing Mass oh, Land oh, Destruction. They do. they do, and you deserve it. <laughs> yeah. So being able to interact in that early game and hold people off, hold people off, wait, stall, 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 until you can finally do what your deck is trying to do is vitally important for you to win basically any of the games. Or you'll die. Yes. Quickly. Like, like hard. Yep. Um, when you play MLD, you have a target on your head, which is amusing because I did it to not have a target on my head. Um, <laughs> so uh, her final ability is five red red, tap, discard a card. Jaya Ballard deals six damage to each creature and each player. So that kind of gets back to what this deck is doing. It's wiping the board. It's keeping that board clear. And six damage will clear almost anything. Yeah, There's, pretty much There everything. are bigger creatures. There are bigger creatures in this deck. Um, but yeah. that six damage will get rid of almost anything. And I run ways of making Jaya indestructible in the deck so you can do it repeatedly. Yeah. Um, 
And it also doesn't hurt that it hits players uh, because that uh, lowers their life total because that gives you a faster clock and lets you win more quickly when you do your land destruction combo. Um, one thing that I want to talk about here as well is the fact that whenever you're playing a card that deals damage to your opponents, in Commander, those aren't always super great because people start with 40 life. It's one of the reasons burn isn't very mm -hmm. good in Commander. You have three opponents. They all have 40 life. So hypothetically, you have to do 120 damage to those people. Yep. That's a lot of damage. Yes, it is. And... Whenever you have a card like Jaya with her ultimate ability, the deal six to all creatures and all uh, players, that is what is called incremental burn yep. or incidental burn, yes, which is way more valuable than just straight up burn. Yes, it it's is. in the same way that life gain isn't very good unless it's like combo life gain, which mm -hmm. we'll talk about at some point later, I'm sure. But incidental life gain, that is fantastic, right? Same kind of concept. Exactly. Um, so I'm playing a big red strategy, and one of the reasons big red is really good for this mass land destruction strategy is because of that incremental uh, life damage. Because you give a lot of time for life totals to go down. Yeah. Um, you don't want to do mass land destruction when life totals are all at 40. No. You want those life totals to preferably be under 30 before you do any of the nasty, nasty stuff we're going to talk about in this deck. Yeah. Um, so, Big Red, and specifically a, uh, a commander who can do chip damage, will give you that time to let people's life totals fall before you do the mass land destruction. Yeah, keeping that clock low. Yes, exactly. Remember... Lock and clock. So, um, Big Red's a good strategy to do this. Um, Cam, what do you think are some other good strategies uh, to use Mass Land Destruction in? Uh, there are a couple other ones other than Big Red uh, specifically. You can also run Mass Land Destruction in a stacks deck, and that's going to be focusing more on resource denial of your opponents. Spoiler, we're going to talk about stacks in a later episode. Yeah, I love stacks. <laughs> it's my favorite. Um, but yeah, that resource denial, especially whenever you can get it at points where uh, these like critical turns before they're going to do something that's going to interact with your board state, is just vitally important. And obviously stacks has other tools to stop them from interacting with you. But Mass Land Destruction is a very powerful one. Yes, it uh, is. In their tool. But again, if you're doing it in stacks, you need to put them on a fast clock. Right. Um, and then also, if you're playing a deck like with Avacyn, for example, as the commander, then you can kind of afford to run Mass Land Destruction as that's going to be uh, overwhelming resource advantage. And we're going to talk about all these a little bit later. And on the subject of overwhelming resource advantage, a super friend strategy works really, really well with mass yes. destruction as well. Like super, super, super well. Because I'm pretty sure none of the spells that destroy all lands hit planeswalkers. Except for the one that's like exile all permanents. Yep. Um, and that one's just brutal anyway. So. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that one and how to actually use it properly yeah. um, here in a minute. So, there are uh, two primary ways to play Mass Land Destruction correctly. Um, the first is combo, and the second is overwhelming resource advantage, yeah. like Cam was talking about earlier. 
So uh, let's talk about the combo a little bit here. I have some of the combos uh, laid out in front of us right here. Um, so the three primary r big red land destruction cards are Obliterate, Jockel Helps, and Devastation. So Obliterate is six red red. Obliterate can't be countered. Destroy all artifacts, creatures, and lands. They can't be regenerated. <laughs> <laughs> what a dickhead spell, dude. <laughs> it's evil. It is. It is pure, pure evil. I hate that it can't be countered. <laughs> I know. It's wonderful. <laughs> it triggers it's me, man. It's beautiful. Oh. Uh, it's a sorcery, by the way. Uh, yes, it is a sorcery. Um, like we were saying earlier, uh, you know, how the blue spell is your... Yeah. Your, your blue player is your enemy. Your, blue player is your enemy. Not if you can pull off Obliterate. Yeah, Obliterate makes blue players cry. Obliterate is one of the hardest to pull off, though, because it's eight mana. Yeah. Which jumps that mana requirement from, you know, 12 to 14 to, you know... 14 to 16, maybe even 20. Yeah, it can be really, really mana-intensive to run these kind of strategies. Absolutely. Um, so, Jockle Helps. Um, this is possibly the cheapest way to do this. Um, yeah. there are, there's one other one that's cheaper. Uh, we'll talk about it later because it's, it's a problematic spell. Uh, for you as well as your opponents, and we need to discuss how you actually overcome its uh, drawbacks. Um, and then the last is Devastation. This is probably the best one to play yeah. uh, because it leaves all of your mana rocks. Uh, and because you are ramping really hard with mana rocks, being able to blow up all lands and have a board full of rocks to <laughs> yeah. then, uh, you know, destroy your opponent, uh, it's, it's a really, really good way to keep that overwhelming resource advantage. One thing with that, though, is Devastation also leaves your opponent's mana rocks. It does. So if they have answers in their hand, uh, they still are going to be able to play them, hypothetically, because they're still going to have mana available, because... Commander is one of the formats where pretty much everybody runs at least some rocks. <laughs> Absolutely. And this is why there are a lot of red spells that just destroy lands. Yeah. I don't run them because it does not create a good hard lock right. that you can then exploit to win quickly. It just slows the game down. Exactly. It just slows the game down, and my overwhelming resource advantage cards will not make me win faster than, opponent, than an opponent who gets to keep all of their permanents. Yeah. Um, so, what's the combo? <laughs> well, uh. um, it's Eldrazi. Yeah. Annihilator's really good when nobody has anything. Yeah. Um, so, basically the lock is you have a Eldrazi with at least Annihilator 2. Yeah. Uh, Annihilator 1 won't work because you need to be able to lock four players out of the game. Yeah. Which means that you can only swing at one person every three turns. Yeah. So you need to have at least Annihilator 2. So if someone's able to build up two permanents, then on that third round of the table, you can then take away those two permanents. Yeah, so if you don't have Annihilator 2 and somebody, uh, after you mass land destruction, somebody does something like land, top deck their soul ring, play their soul ring, 
you're now starting to lose that advantage that you just gained. Exactly. If you don't have Annihilator 2. And you need to have that fast clock. And Eldrazi do a really good job of that because let's look at these powers. 11, 9, 10, 8, 7, 10, 12, and 10. Yep. <laughs> it That Betrays is an especially gross one Yes, for these uh, combos. Because you get all the things that they have to sacrifice. Exactly. <laughs> so it's both combo and overwhelming resource advantage. Yeah. Um, so let's go over these cards really quickly. It They Betrays, uh, 12 generic mana for an 11-11 Eldrazi. Annihilator 2. Annihilator is whenever this creature attacks. So it's on attack. Yeah. Defending player sacrifices two permanents. So if they manage to play a land and get a blocker out... Still uh, happens. <laughs> it still happens because it's on attack. They don't get to block you. Um, and then what makes it the betrays particularly nasty is whenever an opponent sacrifices a non-token permanent, you put that card onto the battlefield under your control. Yeah. Ugh, it's just, it's really gross in this situation because you're simultaneously, if they're playing lands, which they're going to have to to play anything, you just start putting them back down to zero and ramping yourself. Yep. And if the clock wasn't fast enough already, that'll just make it faster. Yes, it will. Um, the second is Pathraiser of Ulamog. Yep. Um, he's a big boy. Uh, he's a 9-9, nine nine, uh, but his Annihilator is 3. Yep. And uh, this is uh, kind of important. Pathraiser of Ulamog can't be blocked except by three or more creatures. So Super Menace. Yep. <laughs> He has Super Menace, and again, they're not going to have anything on exactly. the board. So they just generally can't block it. So they're just going to take nine and sacrifice all of their permanents, basically. Yep. Um, next is Artisan of Kozilek. Artisan of Kozilek is really, really good if you've played an Eldrazi earlier. Yep. Uh, not one of the Titans, but one of the other Eldrazi earlier, and they got rid of it. Yep. Um, then you can blow all lands... Artisan, and then you have another Eldrazi on the board right there with Artisan. Yep. Um, and he has uh, Annihilator 2. He's a 10 9. Uh, and when you cast him, you return a creature from the graveyard to the battlefield. Uh, thing to note, Artisan doesn't care about the CMC of that creature. No, no, it doesn't. So you can do things like Obliterate and then Artisan into It That Betrays. Yes, and that's you can. just brutal. Ah. <laughs> uh, then we have Ulamog's Crusher. Uh, this is actually one of the faster ways to do the combo. Yep. Uh, he only costs 8. Uh, he's 8 mana for an 8-8 eight, eight, Annihilator 2 and attacks each turn if able. So with Jocko Halps, um, that's only 14 mana. Yep. And that's uh, not that hard in Commander. really not that hard, especially in a big red deck. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Ulamog's Crusher is real, real good. Yeah. Uh, on that same line, you have Bane of Balagad. Bane of Balagad's only seven, so that takes it down to 13 mana, yep. which is as much as a lot of the bigger Eldrazi anyways. Yep. So being able to Jockle Halps Bane of Balagad uh, gives you a 7-5 with Exilator. Yep. Um, Rather than sacrificing, they have to exile two permanents whenever it attacks. It's Annihilator on steroids. Yes, it is, and it's nasty. It's a gross but, card. Uh, the clock is a little slower, but because it's Exilator, it means that your opponents are less likely to be able to recover when you're swinging with it. Right. 
Then we have Kozilek Butcher of Truth, because nobody uh, will object to drawing four cards after they've blown all, <laughs> up all the lands. Yeah. Um, so, uh, 10 mana for a 12-12, uh, Eldrazi. When you cast Kozilek Butcher of Truth, draw four cards. Uh, Annihilator 4. Yup. That's like, is that the highest Annihilator? Uh, no. No, Emrakul, right? Uh, old Emrakul, banned Emrakul. Let's have a moment of silence <laughs> for banned Emrakul, because banned Emrakul would make this deck so much better. Okay. Um, <laughs> We're over it. Then Kozilek, uh, the last ability is when Kozilek is put into a graveyard from anywhere, its owner shuffles his or her graveyard into his or her uh, library. Yep. This is actually really good with Jaya. Mm. Because she's a spell shaper, you can always ditch Kozilek and Ulamog, who both have that uh, it goes to the graveyard rider, yeah. and then put all that stuff back into your library. Yeah. If you end up in a war of attrition because someone was an asshole and countered your win condition, um, you can uh, reset your library with all of the lands. Uh, by the way, I run 50 in this deck. Yep. Um, with all of the lands that I blew up of mine, back into the library. So I am extremely likely to win that war of attrition. Yeah, and the Eldrazi Titans are actually used pretty consistently specifically for that shuffle effect in a mm -hmm. lot of decks. Yes, they are. Because it's so powerful to just be able to do that the moment they hit your graveyard. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, then we have Ulamog the Infinite Gyre. Mm -hmm. um, he's 11 mana for a 10-10. And his cast trigger is when you cast him, destroy target permanent. In mono red, you have to deal with enchantment somehow. Yep. Um, if you noticed, when we read off our Mass Land Destruction cards, they don't deal with enchantments. Literally none of them. Literally none of them. It's a problem. Yeah. Um, so, Ulamog and his uh, later iteration, Nulamog. Um, <laughs> affectionately named. Affectionately named Nulamog. Uh, both let you deal with uh, enchantments let you deal with planeswalkers, let you deal with threats that you would otherwise be unable to deal with. Yeah, maybe some things that are like uh, if they get a permanent back onto the uh, board whenever something leaves the battlefield, this will help you deal with that as well. Exactly. Um, he also has Annihilator 4, yeah. uh, which is really hard to come yeah. back from. Annihilator 4 is hard to deal with when you have a board. Exactly. When you don't have a board, it's basically good night. Yeah. So last, we're going to talk about Nulamog. Uh, Ulamog the Ceaseless Hunger is 10 mana for a 10-10. Uh, indestructible, just like his older uh, brother. When you cast Ulamog the Ceaseless Hunger, exile two permanents. Yep. So if nothing else, this one is 10 mana, get rid of two permanents. Yeah. It's fantastic. It's, it's still okay. It's really, yeah. really good. Uh, then he doesn't have Annihilator, but he's still one of the better combo cards in the deck because he has, whenever he attacks, defending player exiles the top 20 cards of their library. Yeah, that's a fifth of their deck if it's turn one. Exactly. And when you exile a fifth of their deck, you're likely to hit a lot of lands. <laughs> yeah. So you stop them from coming back. Like, way harder. Yes. 
Yes, and a ten man, uh, a ten power clock is nothing to sneeze at. No. So those are those are the primary combo pieces. Um, when you play these combos, if you do it correctly, you will have locked the game. Um, very briefly, I want to talk about a couple of lesser land destruction cards in the deck. Right. These are not quite so devastating as destroy all lands, and they are used in a different way from destroying all lands. Right. So first we have Price of Glory. Uh, Price of Glory is two and a red for an enchantment. Whenever a player taps land for mana during another player's turn, destroy that land. So if the nasty, nasty blue player decides <laughs> to try and counter your combo, um, they get to have their lands blown up, and only their lands blown up. Yep. So that makes it more likely that you'll be able to get your combo through the next time. Yep. <laughs> uh, the next card, uh, also in this line, is Boil. Uh, Boil is three and a red for an instant, destroy all islands. Yep, fuck the blue player. <laughs> fuck the blue player. Again, this is designed to deal with control before control becomes a problem for right. you. It is not nearly as nasty as destroy all lands. It is locking your biggest opponent out from being able to deal with you. It's not a win con. It's a tool to get to your win con easier. Exactly. Uh, along those same lines, we have Ruination. Three and a red for a sorcery. Destroy all non-basic lands. Yep. We're in mono red. We have some basic lands. You know, 15 of those 50 lands are, are, are non-basic. Um, but we also run 35 mountains. Yeah. Uh, Not going to hurt you nearly yeah. as much as it hurts everybody else. Exactly. Uh, in a format that is all about those three and four color decks these days, uh, destroying all non-basic lands puts a hurting on some people. Yeah. Um, but there's, uh, there's a guy up at the shop that plays Ur-Dragon, or Scion of the Ur-Dragon. Yep. Uh, that pretty much turns his deck off. Yeah, uh, yeah Because does. I don't know if he runs basic lands. I think that <laughs> after I played a Blood Moon on him, oh. he started running at least one or two of each. Okay, that's good. <laughs> Um, and Blood Moon is the last card in this section. Uh, two and a red for an enchantment. Non-basic lands are mountains. Yep. It uh, really helps you fight back against those just super, super greedy mana bases. Um, where they're running, uh, like that one guy at the shop, for a while, no basic lands. Uh, where people that are running just all non-basics, something like Blood Moon literally just turns their deck off. Yes, it does. Uh, unless they're playing red, in which case it almost, it kind of turns their deck off. Yep. Um, so. Uh, the important thing to note about these is they don't stop your opponents from playing magic. Right. Price of Glory just tells them to play on their turn. Yeah. Boil fucks the blue player. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're okay with that in this deck. Yeah. Um, Blood Moon, people can still play colorless costs. Yeah. And if they haven't been greedy, then they'll still be able to play their spells. One thing Blood Moon does not stop somebody from do is playing a Chromatic Lantern. Exactly. Um, and then Ruination, uh, a little more powerful than Blood Moon. Uh, but if they didn't build greedy, then they can still play their spells. Right. And this encourages good deck building in your playgroup. 
Blood Moon and Ruination encourage people to play basics. And I know we love our non-basic lands. I <laughs> yeah. know we love our lands that tap for multiple colors, but that's a really, really greedy and really, really poor deck building. One thing I think a deck like this really does is it forces your meta to consider everything that they are putting into their deck, even their basic lands, right? It really makes people build a deck appropriately and build the deck well. And think about all the different ways that somebody else could just screw them over yep. out of nowhere, you know? And if they know that a deck like this is in their meta, then they're going to play those basic lands. They're going to play the cards that allow them to come back from getting mass land destruction. Yep. Um, they're going to play ways to interact with some of the combos in here. Uh, it really helps keep your meta in check and stop people from being overly greedy with a lot of their uh, deck building. And blue player, yes, we run Obliterate that can't be countered, but there are spells that exile spells off the stack. Yep. Uh, summary Dismissal, I think. Yep. And uh, Mind Break Trap. Yep. Uh, both of those will exile that spell right off the stack. Yep. And then you don't have to worry about riders like can't be countered. Yep, because it just never went on the stack, exactly. basically. You just didn't play it. So the next combo piece that I want to talk about is World Gorger Dragon. It's three red red for a 7-7 seven, seven Nightmare Dragon, <laughs> Flying and Trample. When World Gorger Dragon enters the battlefield, exile all other permanents you control. And then when World Gorger Dragon leaves the battlefield, return the exiled cards to the battlefield under their owner's control. Um, one thing with this is World Gorger... Uh, became pretty infamous and as such people have looked a lot at how to interact with it and it is honestly a pretty fragile combo um, you can beat this combo and honestly kill the player doing it with a path to exile yes you can uh, so what happens is they do um, you know they get world gorger into play the enter the battlefield trigger goes on the stack in response to that you path to exile their world gorger. It gets exiled. It's leave the battlefield trigger goes on the stack. It resolves, returning nothing. And then the enter the, enter the battlefield trigger resolves and exiles all of their permanents. Yes, it does. And then they just have to sit there and yes, be sad. they do. So what's really, really good is when you play that world gorger dragon for six mana and then play jungle helps for six mana. Yep. You destroy all artifacts, creatures, and lands. Well, World Gorger's a creature. It is, yeah. Yeah. You have no lands currently. No, you don't. You don't have anything but you a World Gorger. You don't have anything but a World Gorger. So, you Jockle Helps, and World Gorger dies, and Jockle Helps has resolved. All of your opponents are without anything. You have uh, you have at least 12 mana, because you yep. just did this. Yep. Um, And all that mana comes back. Back into play. All your land, all your artifacts, any other creatures you had. Exactly. All of it. Um, And then you beat face. Yeah, you just kind of win from that point. This is kind of the bridge between the combo and the overwhelming resource advantage. Right. This allows you to destroy all permanents, leave all of yours still in play, and then be able to cast your big Eldrazi and combo out in that right. way. Um. The other thing the World Gorger does is it interacts with a couple of important cards in the deck that are problematic because of what they do. You want to read those for us, Cam? Yeah, sure thing. 
So we got the first one is a sorcery. It costs two red, red, red. Uh, it's Apocalypse. Remove all permanents from the game. Discard your hand. So it gets rid of enchantments. It does. It's fantastic. Yeah. It they all get exiled. Your and your hand. And your hand's gone. And, and your hand. hand's gone. Yeah. So here's the problem. <laughs> you can't Apocalypse and then play an Eldrazi. No. You cannot Apocalypse in response to an Eldrazi unless you do some other thing, which we'll talk about here in a minute. Right. Um, so how can Apocalypse possibly be good? Well, if you play World Gorger Dragon first, yep. you have no permanence except World Gorger Dragon. You play Apocalypse for a total of 11 mana. Super attainable. Super attainable. It's cheaper than... It the betrays. It the betrays. Yes. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I knew it was cheaper than one of them. Yep. Uh, it's cheaper than it the betrays. So you world gorger, then you apocalypse. You exile all their permanents. You exile world gorger. We didn't like him anyways because he gets rid of our permanents. Yep. And oh look, we have eleven mana. Yep. Minimum. Minimum. And a shit ton of Eldrazi in the deck. Yep. So yeah, and nobody's discarded. got anything. Yeah. So yeah, I've discarded my hand. Um, but don't, don't care. Yeah, doesn't really matter. Don't yeah, don't don't care. I I can top deck. I can top deck all day in this deck. <laughs> yeah, uh, especially as, because your commander allows you to discard to do things. Exactly. So if you get all those lands that you run, you can still do shit. Um. So the other one is another sorcery. It's decree of annihilation. It costs eight red red, so ten mana. Remove all artifacts, creatures, lands, <laughs> graveyards, and hands from the game. So it exiles literally everything other than people's libraries. Yep. It also uh, has cycling. You can cycle it for five red red. Uh, cycling can't be countered by a counter spell. True. It can be countered by trick bind uh, and other similar effects. Right, but if you, it, it is essentially another uncounterable land destruction spell when you cycle it, and it draws you a card. Yeah, because whenever you cycle Decree of Annihilation, you destroy all lands. Yep, pretty pretty easy. But again, um, casting it for its ten mana cost when you have a World Gorger, yeah, that's sixteen mana. No, that's not hard in this deck. No, um, lets you exile. Everything except enchantments and play with walkers, including your opponent's hands. Yeah. And you get to keep all your permanents. Yep. Uh, it's uh, very similar to the Apocalypse World Gorger combo. Yep. Um, and generally means that you're going to win the game. So I was alluding a little bit earlier to the fact that you can, in this deck, cast an Eldrazi and then cast Apocalypse in response. Why is that, Cam? So you run a card that is a fantastic card that I think more people should run called Sunbird's Invocation. Sunbird's Invocation is an enchantment. It's very expensive. It costs five and a red. And it says, whenever you cast a spell from your hand, reveal the top X cards of your library, where X is that spell's converted mana cost. You may cast a card revealed this way with converted mana cost X or less without paying its mana cost. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. So... Here's what happens. You've played the Sunbird's Invocation. Then you cast your It That Betrays wow. for 12 mana. So you get to see the top 12 cards of your library. Yep. 
chances are you're going to hit land destruction in those 12 cards. Yeah. And if you happen to hit Apocalypse off those 12 cards, you exile all permanents in response to the it that betrays. Yeah. It goes on the stack above it that betrays. Yep. So Apocalypse resolves, exiles all permanents. It that betrays resolves, and you have an 11-11 on an empty board with Annihilator 2. And it gives you things when they sack stuff. Yep. It's nasty. Yeah. Uh, Your opponents will most likely scoop. Yeah, probably. Uh, That's generally going to be, air quote, the win con of a deck like this, is either you're going to beat them to death with a giant Eldrazi, or they're going to scoop. Because you've established a hard lock on the game. They can't do anything. They know they're going to lose. So they just scoop it up. Exactly. Shuffle. Play a new game. So the last card that you can play with Apocalypse is a beautiful little ditty called Greater Gargadon. Yeah. So it's nine in a red for a nine seven. Yeah. That's it. Nine in a red for a nine seven. Vanilla nine seven. Vanilla nine seven. So it it also has some other text. Uh, But when it's on the board, it's just a vanilla nine seven. Yeah. Doesn't have Annihilator. Doesn't have Trample even. (laughs) It's It's just a nine seven. It's just a big clock. Yep. Um, but it does have suspend 10 for red. Suspend yep. 10. So uh, for those of you who don't know what suspend is, uh, you exile this card with a number of time counters equal to the suspend number, 10. 10. Um, and then each upkeep, you remove a time counter from it. Well, on each of your upkeeps. Yeah, on each of your upkeeps. Exactly. Thank you, Cam. Yeah. Um, you remove a time counter from it. Mm-hmm. When the last time counter is removed, it comes into play with haste. Yep. Yeah. So, but suspend 10 for one red mana. Still doesn't sound great, because you have to wait 10 turns. It's a long time. It's a very long... No, it isn't. No. No, it, it's really not, because it has an, an, another... Yeah. Another... It's got spot. a second ability. Yeah. Um, sacrifice an artifact, creature, or land. Remove a time counter from Greater Gargadon. Yep. Play this ability only if Greater Gargadon is suspended. Which makes sense. Well, yeah, it, Yeah. Um, So here's the thing. Number one, that gives you a sack outlet. Which is very powerful. Very, very powerful. It is a sack outlet for artifacts, creatures, and lands. Yeah. So if someone tries to use spot removal, if someone tries to exile a permanent of yours, you can, in response, sacrifice it and put it in the graveyard, which is much more attainable, especially with the Eldrazi that shuffle all of your graveyard back into your library. So, for example, if you've already played that Kozilek that shuffles whenever he goes to your graveyard and you have Greater Gargadon suspended, somebody goes to Exile, maybe they path to Exile or something, Kozilek, you can just sack him in response. Yep. And then shuffle him back in. Yep. And you're okay. Yep. But why this is good with things like Apocalypse is you can sack all your lands yep, and your artifacts and your creatures in response to Apocalypse. Yep. Um, which leaves you with a greater Gargadon and everyone yep. else with nothing. Now, this is definitely the weakest thing to do with Apocalypse. Yes. Uh, it gives you a vanilla 9-7 on the board, but that is still a big motherfucking clock. Yeah. Like... It's you're probably at that point going to begin killing people in like two hits. Yep. Because um, again, speaking. you want to wait until the clock is low enough before you do this. Yeah. And 
very importantly, this is a six-mana combo. Yeah, it's not a lot. <laughs> not a lot of mana. It's five to cast Apocalypse and one to suspend the Gargadon. Yep. And because you can sack to get Greater Gargadon out, um, you can do it in one turn. Now, an important thing to note, you have to sack all but one thing yes. to get rid of those counters. If you sack all of them and he comes into play, he'll resolve before Apocalypse resolves. Yeah, and that's no good. That That's no good. So you won't have it for a turn. Right. Uh, but then eventually, you know, nobody can do anything because you just, you know, blew up all their stuff. And it eventually gets back around to you. And then you have a free 9-7 with haste. Yep. All right. So those are the things you can do with Apocalypse. Uh, Sunbird's Invocation combo works with all of our other land destruction stuff as well. Right. Um, now we're going to move on to the other way of playing mass land destruction, which is the overwhelming resource advantage. We've alluded to this a little bit. Uh, we'll go over a couple of cards that give you that overwhelming resource advantage. Now, it is important to note that this is your last resort. Yeah. When you are playing these mass land destruction spells. This is what you do if someone backs you into a corner and you have no choice but to MLD or lose. Also, it's worth noting that the overwhelming resources side to this isn't even that much worse than the combo way. Yep. Right? However, it feels way worse to play against. Yes, it does. And so it will really, really destroy a lot of your table image. And a lot of people will dislike you a lot yes. <laughs> if you ha like continuously or repetitively do it this way. Yep. So that's why we're kind of saying that it's like the last ditch effort. Yes. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about how to play the politics here in a minute. Right. Um, so kind of the card that bridges the gap between combo and overwhelming resource advantage is Itali Primal Storm. Yeah. Uh, Itali Primal Storm is a four red red for a six six elder dinosaur. Whenever Atali Primal Storm attacks, exile the top card of each player's library, then you may cast any number of non-land cards exiled this way without paying their mana costs. So, this is kind of on that combo line, because again, it'll get rid of your opponent's lands off the top of their library, kind of like Nulamog does. Um, but it's more on the side of overwhelming resource advantage. Right. Because what it's really doing is giving you massive amounts of card advantage every turn. Yeah. So you are aiming to Jockel Halps first and then Atali. Yeah. And that's 12 mana. You have a 6-6 six, six that will get rid of people's uh, top cards. Uh, it'll dig them out of lands. It'll dig you into permanence. And you will win a lot quicker with Atali than with any of these other... Uh, overwhelming resource advantage cards we're going to talk about. Right, because Atali is accelerating you uh, rather than just dealing damage mm -hmm. or that kind of stuff. So, um, I'll let Cam talk about the next card. The next one that we got is Koth of the Hammer. He is two red red for a Planeswalker. He comes in at three loyalty. Plus one, untap target mountain. It becomes a four four red elemental creature until end of turn. It's still a land. So, remember, we're running 50 lands here. Yeah. So, if we use a mass land destruction spell with Koth on the board, we are likely to play a land. Right. 
and then we have a 4-4, which is a clock. It's not as good a clock as yeah. these other ones. It's just a slow one. But it is still a clock. Um, his minus two ability is add red to your mana pool for each mountain you control. So that is one of the ways we get massive amounts of mana yeah. in this deck. Uh, we're running 35 mountains. Um, often I'll minus two Koth for a total of 12, 16 mana for that turn, yeah. uh, which, as we talked about before, is around the uh, mana point we're looking for for these combos. Yeah, it's having that much mana allows you to do pretty much all of these combos. There are a couple outliers, but generally speaking, that's going to be plenty for you to do things that you're going to be wanting to do. And along those lines, we also run all of the artifact mana doublers. We run Mana Flare. Right. Um, we'll talk about Mana Flare in a later episode. Mana Flare is so good. Yeah, it's really, really good. Um, so getting to that mana is really, really fast in this deck. Right. Um, and then finally, his ultimate ability, his minus five, you get an emblem with Mountains you control have tap. This land deals one damage to target creature or player. You are unlikely to use that ultimate ability. Yeah, it's you generally don't want to do that because that's counting on you having a lot of lands, and this deck doesn't do that a whole lot. Now, if for some reason your plan has gone awry and you're able to protect a Koth to keep him around after you ult, then sure, ult. Yeah. Because you have 35 mountains in the deck, and having... 35 pingers in your deck's pretty good. It's pretty good, yeah. Um, it's also worth noting that, as we said earlier, a lot of these mass land destruction spells and effects don't hit enchantments and planeswalkers. So having a planeswalker that can help you win the game mm-hmm. is very, very, very powerful because you aren't shooting yourself in the foot whenever you play one of these big spells. So along those lines, yeah. we have Ugin the Spirit Dragon. Yep. Uh, Ugin the Spirit Dragon is 8 mana for a 7 loyalty Planeswalker. A little bigger. Yeah, a little bigger. Uh, He comes in, and his plus 2 is Ugin the Spirit Dragon deals 3 damage to target creature or player. Lightning Bolt. Yep, it's a Lightning Bolt. Uh, (laughs) But on a giant Spirit Dragon. But on a giant Spirit Dragon. That allows you, after you've used your Mass Land Destruction, to deal damage... And it gives you a clock. Again, not a fast clock. But it is a clock. But it is a clock. And it gets you uh, to his ultimate, which we'll talk about next. Um, His ultimate is minus 10. You gain 7 life, draw 7 cards, and put up to 7 permanents from your hand onto the battlefield. It's disgusting. It's really gross. We have Eldrazi. Yeah. Out (laughs) the ass. Ugh. His, his ult in a situation like this literally says minus 10, I win the game. Yes. Yes, it does. Like, <laughs> okay. Also, because worst case scenario, right? Mm-hmm. You get him to the ult. It's been, you know, multiple turns at this point yep. after you've uh, exiled everything, we'll say. And then you ult him and you get a shitload of land. Yep. And then you still just get those seven land along yep. with any land you've drawn so far. Yep. And now you're still leagues ahead of everybody else. Yes, you are. Uh, it's just he's so good in a deck like this. Right. So, again, this is overwhelming resource advantage. Right. We are destroying all land and just accelerating our resources while everyone else is land go or pass. Yeah. Generally, it's the second one. Yeah, generally it's the second one. <laughs> Although, 
playing in a meta with a mass land destruction spell, if they see me drop Jaya, people sandbag lands. That's true. That is very true. Um, the last in this overwhelming resource advantage um, is Karn Cyan of Urza. Um, he's four mana for a five loyalty planeswalker. He's so good. He's so good. He's so, so good. Um, plus one, reveal the top two cards of your library. An opponent chooses one of them. Put that card into your hand and exile the other with a silver counter on it. So, worst case scenario. This happens a lot. Yeah. Worst case scenario. I have two land. Yeah. I say, hey, you want to give me a land or a land? I guess a land. I guess a land. I guess I'll give you the land. Exactly. <laughs> if you have just blown up the board and no one has any lands, no one wants to give you lands. No. But hey, land or land. Yep. And because you run 50 lands, that's just going to happen a yep. lot of the time. Um, Another fairly bad scenario is you have no lands and you hand them land Eldrazi. Yep. So then they have to decide, do they want to give you the land or the Eldrazi? They should probably give you the Eldrazi. Yes, they should. Um, because odds are you aren't going to be able to cast that yep. immediately. Um, but it still feels super bad. <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, but then, even if you do exile it with a silver counter, uh, we have his minus one. Yep. Which is put a card exiled with the silver counter into your hand. Yep. He's kind of just extending your hand. Yep. Uh, he's drawing you cards and extending your hand at the same time. And then his minus one just picks a card yep. that he's gotten and puts it into your hand. Yeah. It's pretty pretty powerful. It, it's real powerful. Um, and then the last, I've used this a couple of times against aggro decks, yeah. um, is minus two, create a zero zero colorless construct artifact creature token with. This creature gets plus one plus one for each artifact you control. That counts itself. Yeah. So at minimum, it's a 1-1. One, one. But in a deck like this, which runs a ton of rocks, they get pretty big pretty quickly. Yeah. So that's also a clock if you are running the mass land destruction right. strategy. Especially because even whenever you just play Karn, you don't even plus him, you don't do anything. Mm -hmm. You can minus two him twice. Yes, you can. So that's going to give you minimum of those two... Artifact creatures. Yep. They're going to see each other in themselves. Yep. So they're going to be tutus. tutus if you have nothing else. And then that's going to be, again, like four damage yep. minimum that you're pu pumping out every exactly. single turn. So, again, this overwhelming resource advantage is your last resort. Yeah. You do not rely on this to win you the game. This is if you have no other choice but... Lose the game or MLD. Right. Um, also, I feel like it's worth noting at this point that we are not telling you to build this deck or run this deck. These are ways that you can run decks that use this strategy. And so you understand the strategy and don't get hated out of your playgroup. Yep. And remember, even if you do the overwhelming resource advantage, people who've played against you or people who just don't like MLD yeah. may still scoop. Oh, yeah. And it's really important that you accept that surrender graciously. Yeah. Um, don't force people to play out a game that they don't want to be in. Allow them to scoop once you've done something like this. Um, and, again, you literally 
can't force them to. They can just be like, fuck you, I scoop anyway, and walk off and play with somebody else. But again, it's really important to accept that surrender graciously. Yeah. Um, Don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. Exactly. (laughs) Words to live by, man. Words to live by. Um, So another thing that you should know is that this looks and feels a lot different than what a lot of people would call a, air quote, combo deck. Because you're not doing something infinitely, you're not, you know, uh, doing crazy shit. You're playing a couple of cards, and then you're winning the game. Yep. But because of that, and the way that it's done in a deck like this, it's kind of indistinguishable from winning with a uh, more classic combo deck. Exactly. So what a combo deck does is build up a certain set of resources and then uses one, maybe two cards to just go off and win the game. Right. Um, They're preparing, preparing, preparing. I play this and then probably win unless one of you has some way to respond to it, which if I built my deck right, you won't. Exactly. And here we are preparing, preparing, preparing with ramp. And then we are waiting until we have a Massland Destruction spell and an Eldrazi in hand. Yep. And we are playing them in a particular order. Depending on the spell. Depending on the spell. And then we are creating a hard lock on the table. Right. And presenting a massive clock. Right. And most people are probably just going to scoop to it. Yep. At that point. Um there are other cards that uh, do the similar kind of thing that are not combos, but when in the same kind of way feels very similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, Crater Hoof is one of the big exactly. ones. Exactly. Um, where Crater Hoof is, I'm going to spend several turns building up to this, and then I play this one card, and I'm going to kill all I, of you. I love green players who say, oh, I hate combo players who play a Crater Hoof. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, it's the same shit, man. Yeah. It's the same shit. It's just got a different look to it. Yep. Uh, similarly, uh, Triumph of the Hordes, Overwhelming Stampede. Right, right, right. Yeah, all, all of these things that use a couple of cards and the advantage that you built up over the game to win the game immediately. Yeah, just on the spot. Um, all right. So that's kind of the deck. That's kind of how you play these combos. So what's really, really vital to playing a deck like this is politics. Yes. Politics, politics, politics. And you can't politic without a good table image. Right. Um, and we are going to have a whole episode on politics yep. later on, but we still want to touch on it here. Um, and like he said, table image is very, very, very important. Um, basically, what table image is, is how the other players in your meta and in your play group see you when you go to sit down at the table, regardless of what deck you're bringing with you. Yep. Remember, Commander is bigger than just one game. Yeah. People like to say, oh, I just think about the one game. Right. But that's not true. Yeah, they're lying. (laughs) They are lying to you because they remember the things that you've done in the past they remember the ways that you've played in the past, and they're going to bring the, that knowledge to the game. Yeah, and we're not saying, by the way, that it's, you know, we're not saying hold a grudge. No. We're not saying get mad at them. We're not saying if they invite you out to drinks after the game, be like, nah, fuck you, man. You played mass land destruction. We're not saying that. We're saying that if you 
play cards like Obliterate or Jockle Hops or anything like that, people aren't just going to forget that you run those cards. No, they're not. <laughs> they're going to know that that's in your deck. They're going to know that your deck is doing those things. And they're going to treat you like a person that is running those cards. Right, which is why you have to work really hard if you're going to play the strategy to build a good table image, to be well-liked. At your table, yeah. If you are if you are struggling with uh, your interaction with other people in your meta, you shouldn't play MLD. No, do not. <laughs> uh, you'll have a lot more problems with the people in your meta if you're already bad at politics and then start playing mass land destruction. Yes, you will. Um, and to that end, don't build this as your first deck. No. Please yeah. do not build this as your first deck. Don't only have mass land destruction. Yeah. <laughs> Don't build this as your only deck. Yeah. M- this wasn't my first deck. This was my second. Like I said, my first deck was niv Combo. Also not a very popular deck. No, no. It was like <laughs> taking red paint and painting a target on my face. Yeah. The bright red nose. Yeah. As the bullseye. Yeah. Um, niv Combo is not one that a lot of people are... Happy to sit down at a table with. No, 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 it isn't. Uh, um, it, that that's really, really not a good roster. No, um, no. So, in order to build good table image, you need to do a couple of things. Again, like we said before, you need to accept your opponent's defeat graciously. Right. Do not rub it in their faces. That ha ha! I won with fast land destruction. Yeah. You hate it. You have to be like, so I combo, I win, good game, shuffle up and play again. You should even offer to switch decks. I was about to say that. It's like, if you win with that deck, maybe switch decks, <laughs> you know? Yep. Be like, yeah, uh, good game, shuffle up, let's play again. I'm going to get a different deck, though. Yep. Uh, it's like easy as that. And people will be like, oh, okay, cool. And they won't get mad at you. They won't get upset because it can be tiring to play against a deck like this. Yes, yes, it can. So, to the end of having a good table image, not only should you be willing to change decks after playing your Mass Land Destruction deck, but you should also have a stupid, janky, bad, trademark, deck. <laughs> um, mine, uh, when I realized this, was Tibber and Lumia. It was a silly, just interact with everyone at the table but not really try and win yeah. sort of deck. I had a lot of redirect spells, a lot of stuff where I could just do, cause a lot of mischief, but not really ruin everyone's day. Yeah. I wanted to be the class clown uh, with that deck to improve my table image. Now, that deck became my Mizzics deck, and um, <laughs> we'll talk about that one later. Yeah. <laughs> That's a whole other episode, yeah, that one. Yeah, it is. Um... So once you've built a good table image, once you've built yourself up as a fun player to play with, right? despite the fact that you're playing Mass Land Destruction, yeah. it's important that you emphasize that you are a fun player to play with. And there are times when I don't bring Jaya out for a month or more. Very true. Because the last time I played with Jaya, things went sour. And in order to improve my table image, to keep my table image good, I have put Jaya away for a while. You just wait. Yep, you just wait. 
and you continue to work on your table image, you continue to play your stupid janky bad trademark deck, um, <laughs> and you improve your table image, you improve your political standing in the group. I also want to say that you don't necessarily have to play that stupid janky bad trademarked <laughs> deck. Uh, you don't have to have a deck like that. You just have a de- have to have a deck that's more fun. Yes, right? exactly. So, like, for example, uh, Good Guy Blue. <laughs> yeah, good Which guy we can blue. talk about later. Yeah, we can talk about um, that later. That's a deck that's just fun to play against, yeah. right? Like, it's just a fun deck. Um, and it absolutely deserves its own episode. But, you know, if you move from Jaya to Good Guy Blue, those are very different games. And they're going to have people viewing you very differently. Yes, um, so one thing that you're really good at is kind of playing into the stigma, right? Embracing yeah. how much people hate mass land destruction. And it's really important to do that. Okay. So you are playing mass land destruction. Yeah. And very importantly, you should make sure everyone at the table knows you are playing mass land destruction. Yeah. Don't be coy about it. No. Say, I'm playing mass land destruction. You shouldn't play it as your first deck in the meta. No. This is not your introductory deck. No. You should build your table image and then play it. So that when you do play it, you can lean into the stigma. You can say, I'm playing Mass Land Destruction. I will only blow up all lands under two conditions. Number one, it'll make me win. Yep. Number two, you back me into a corner. Yep. And then you move it away from you and that's a really important and really interesting thing because you can say it's not my fault even though you built the deck <laughs> yep you're playing the deck yes you you're are. the one that cast the spell yes you are <laughs> but if you make sure everyone knows what you're playing and say if you back me into a corner when it's my life or blow up all lands yeah i'm gonna blow up all lands that makes people generally leave you alone. And that's a pretty powerful position to be in. It is a very powerful position. Think of Cold War United States versus Russia. Yep. People during the Cold War didn't want to have open warfare because both countries had their finger on that big red button. Yep. Just waiting. Waiting to send the nukes. Absolutely. I have named this deck Scorched Earth. Yep. Because... It's scorched earth. You are (laughs) blowing up lands. And you need to play into that stigma. You need to be like, I'm going to blow up all lands if you do that to me. You also, by the way, don't have to have the spell in your hand to say that. No, you don't. (laughs) Especially in a deck like this where you're running 50 lands, you could have like just five mountains in your hand. Yep. And be like, dude, if you swing out at me, I swear I will blow up everything on this board. Yep. And people who have played with you before will be like, dude, seriously? Don't swing it in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Other people will be on your side. The other thing is that you can kind of use it if you're maybe a little bit back in the game. You're on the back foot. Somebody else is on the back foot. You can use it as a kind of way to not necessarily manipulate that person. <laughs> but you can say, you know. <laughs> that guy's a problem. Yeah. I can take care of that problem. You won't like how I do it, but I can take care of it. Yeah. 
And you would be surprised the number of people who take you up on that offer. It happens a lot. And it's a really interesting thing looking at it from the outside to hear somebody say to the mass land destruction player, yeah, blow up everything. Yep. I want you to do that. Yep. You know, that's that's a really interesting artifact of metas that have a mass land destruction player. Um, and it can lead to really interesting interactions politically and court-wise. Exactly. And being fun about it is really important, too. This can only be done with a good table image. Right. You need to be known in your playgroup as a fun player before you even think about playing MLD. Right. And another thing that can help you with doing that is being willing to take the loss in certain games. Being willing to say, I'm probably going to lose here or just accepting a loss right and being graceful about it and it goes back to don't be a dick man don't be a dick commander is bigger than just one game we will say this over and over and over again in this podcast being willing to be gracious about losing especially when you're playing the mld deck (laughs) being willing to say yeah no i deserve that you don't get to be salty you don't get to be salty (laughs) you don't get to be salty when you're playing mld so if you're a kind of salty player you need to really really think about that saltiness when you decide to play mld focus on yourself and make sure that you are capable of playing this strategy the way it needs to be played in order to make sure everybody has a good time. How many times have I said, yeah, no, I deserve that when I play MLD? A lot. Yeah. Uh, more than I would care to count. <laughs> People are going to target you, especially if you play MLD and use the uh, overwhelming resource strategy. Yeah. You are going to try and get ahead, but if someone comes at you, you need to be like, yeah, no, I get it. Yeah. I deserve it. I tried to win just there. Yeah. It's the same thing as if a, again, air quote combo player uh, plays one or even like two of their combo pieces and then somebody kills them or blows up all their shit or something. You don't get to be salty about that. No, no, you don't. Because you just tried to win the game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the, like the other players at this table have the right to stop you from winning. Yes, they do. And you need to be willing to let them. Now, this is an interesting interaction with what we said about using your politics to say, if you back me into a corner, I'm going to blow up all lands. You need to be aware of when to lose to keep your table image and when to use that power of politics of having your finger on the button to blow up all lands and say, you backed me into a corner. Yeah. You need to be able to read the other players at the table. You need to be able to know the other decks that you are playing at the table. And you need to know when you accepting a loss is better than you trying to drag out a game that would last for maybe an additional hour because you blew up all lands. Yeah. And a lot of that as well just comes with experience. Yes. It's just playing yes, the deck, knowing your meta, knowing uh, you know what your friends are playing and how they're going to interact with you, how exactly. they're going to react to something like an obliterate. Again, don't play this as the first deck no. in your meta. Don't introduce yourself to your meta with MLD. A lot of the things that we're talking about with table image and politics are designed to keep your friends yeah. They're not designed to make you friends. Yes. <laughs> yes. 
this deck's not decks like this are not going to make you liked. No, uh, you're going to have to work to stay liked. Yes, and finally, it, under being willing to lose, no takesies backsies. If you play, if you misplay, yeah, you misplayed. Don't say, oh, by the way, let me just do this differently because land destruction Eldrazi. Fuck you. Yeah. It's uh, another way that you can put this is imagine that somebody played Tooth and Nail. Yep. Entwined. Yep. And they went and got two creatures and they put them on the board and they were like, oh, wait, shit. No, I was supposed to get the other thing. It's like, well, you didn't. Yep. So <laughs> we're going to play it out however this is supposed to go. Yep. And then next time, hopefully, you'll get the right thing. Because I'm not just going to let you go get the win because yeah. you fucked up. No takesies backsies also makes you a better player. And it really should be your watchword when you're playing anyways. Yeah, absolutely. So, this brings us to another awkward section about politics. Yeah. And that's people who counter the win. Yeah. Not counter the, the MLD... But counter the win. For example, I play, I float enough mana to play Obliterate and Ulamog. Right. Obliterate can't be countered. Yep. Obliterate can't be countered. Ulamog can. Sure can. <laughs> yeah. So they float mana and they let the Obliterate happen and then they counter the Ulamog. So they just trapped everyone at the table in a horrible, horrible landless game. That player is a dick. That player is a dick. That player is just as much as of a dick as the person who plays MLD because they think it's fucking funny. Yep. It is the same thing. It is exactly the same thing. If your opponent is playing MLD responsibly and you do this, you are the douchebag, not the person playing MLD responsibly. Right. Um, another thing that you need to think about when you're playing in a meta like this is that that MLD player... Mass Land Destruction player, has built their deck with this in mind. I certainly have. I run 50 lands in my yeah, deck. Yeah, that's a lot of land. That is a lot of land. Unless you're playing like Tatiova. Well, yeah. But with Jaya, every one of those lands is a spell. Yeah. Like, you're just going to be able to recover way easier and faster than everyone else. Yes, you are. So if you counter the win, you're just slowing the game down, and the mass land destruction player is still probably just going to win. Yep. Now, I have had people do this, and I didn't win, but people who have done this just made the game not fun for everyone at the table. Yeah, and often they don't even have to float mana. Nope. You have an experience with that. Yeah, yeah, I do. Um... Another thing before I get to that, mm. um, along the same lines, if you've sandbagged one planes and a path to exile, <laughs> you're still a dick. Yeah, it's the same thing. It's exactly the same thing. Not only that, but you're ramping them. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think about that, but yeah, you're, that's true. Yeah, so... No, you're not clever for holding back the path to exile and letting the MLD through. So, moral of that story is sandbag a planes and a swords to plowshares. No. <laughs> no, it isn't, Cam. No, it isn't. You're still a dick. <laughs> so, 
I have a story about someone who um, decided to counter my win. Um, so I played my MLD Eldrazi combo. I played the MLD. It was obliterate. Couldn't be countered. Yep. Played the obliterate. And then I played my Eldrazi. And the dick blue player to my left, <laughs> Pact of Negation, my win con. So not only did he trap <laughs> the entire table in this horrible game, but he got to fuck off and go smoke. Yep. Yeah. Uh, because for any of you that don't know, by the way, Pact of Negation is a zero mana instant uh, counter target spell. And then on your next upkeep, you have to pay five mana? Yeah, it was like five. three blue-blue, I think. Three blue-blue. Um, or you lose the game, or like straight up. So I played my combo. He pacted my win. Went to his turn. He lost during upkeep and went for a smoke break. And then the rest of you just sat there and looked at each other. Yep. Like, well. Nobody was mad at me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't do anything. You tried to win. Yep. And it would have been fine. Yep. And you, and then the blue player was like, nah, yeah. I'm just going to trap all you. Yep. So, moral of the story is I then, in a later game, trapped him in a game just to be a douche. Yeah. Um, because he was a douche and he needed that to happen. <laughs> <laughs> That's just how it works, man. Yeah. I think you also have a story uh, along a similar vein. Uh, yeah, it is kind of similar. Um, There's another player up there that was uh, playing a Lord Windgrace deck. Um, and one of the ways that he generally tried to win uh, when he was playing that deck was by sticking Lord Windgrace and then playing something like Obliterate. And then with Lord Windgrace out, he can use his uh, minus ability, get lands back, and then he can... Ramp up so overwhelming resource advantage. Right, right, right. Um, it wasn't really a combo win. It was just a slow game from that point forward. Mm-hmm. Um, however, like we've said earlier, Obliterate doesn't hit enchantments. Nope. And I was playing a graveyard deck. I was playing my Muldrotha deck, and I had an Eldest Reborn on <laughs> oh, God, the really? field. Yeah. <laughs> and for those of you that don't know, Eldest Reborn is a saga. It costs four and a black. Um, the first chapter on Eldest Reborn makes everybody sack a creature or a planeswalker. The second chapter makes everybody discard a card. And then the third chapter lets me return a creature or a planeswalker from anyone's graveyard to the battlefield under my control. Yep. And at this point, by the way, he did not have Lord Windgrace out. Oh. Yeah. That's an important part of that story. Yeah. He floated a shitload of mana, obliterated, and then played just some big dude. And that's how he was going to win the game. So right? he did try to combo win. Kind of. Kind of. Um, well, uh, whenever it got back to my turn, Eldritch Reborn, you know, got its third uh, chapter off, and I got back Nauseous Gear Hulk, which is for Black Black. Yep. For a, I think, 4-5. And... Whenever it enters the battlefield, you just destroy a creature and gain life uh, equal to its power, I'm pretty sure. And so whenever I got back to my turn, I just got back Noxious Gear Hulk and blew up his thing. And then nobody could do anything, and I just won the game with a 4-5. Yep. Um, because he didn't lock anything. He didn't 
uh, understand that Obliterate didn't get rid of my eldest reborn. He didn't mm-hmm. know how he was supposed to really win from that point. Um, it was uh, supposed to be a resource advantage in a way, almost like a combo and resource advantage type of thing, but he just couldn't get there. Mm-hmm. And it's really necessary when you're playing a deck like this that you understand what your win cons are and yep. how fragile they are versus yep. how resistant they are. Absolutely. So I think that story is a good segue into how to deal with mass land destruction. Yeah, um, I agree. Uh, so ways that you can deal with mass land destruction vary depending on the type of mass land destruction yep. you're playing against. Right. If you're playing with these red spells that destroy everything but enchantments and planeswalkers, that's very different from playing against someone with an Avacyn who plays uh, Armageddon. Right. Um, or who will do something like Armageddon and then in response to Fairy's Protection. Yep. Um, which is also very gross. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so it depends. If you're playing against combo... Uh, versus if you're playing against the resource advantage one. Um, basically, you're going to want to play cards with mass land destruction in mind if you know that it's in your meta, right? Yep. If you know that somebody's coming to the table with a mass land destruction deck. As I do. Right. Then you're going to want to play cards that can deal with that. Um, so he plays a more combo uh, mass land destruction deck. Those are a lot harder to deal with because they're going to be putting a lock on the game and generally they're just going to win. There are ways to beat it. It's just hard. Yep. Um, Generally speaking, if they are playing combo... Kill them before they can get their combo off. Kill them before they can get there, yeah. Um, If they do manage to stick it, try and play multiple things a turn. Yep. uh, If you can. Uh, And if, if you can't, again graciously accept the loss. Yeah, it's okay to lose. (laughs) Shuffle up, play again. And if they look like they're going to shuffle up that MLD deck again, maybe ask them to play a different deck. Or you go get Gitrog. Or you go get Gitrog. (laughs) (laughs) Or Titania, or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Even your Muldrotha deck. Yeah, Muldrotha's pretty good at it, too. Um, Because Muldrotha also is in the colors for it. Because Mm -hmm. in Muldrotha... you can run cards like World Shaper. Yep. Or you can run cards like The Mending of Dominaria. Yep. And those are really, really, really good at getting around that mass land destruction. Right, because we play a couple of rounds. You manage to get out your World Shaper. Right. I swing in with my Annihilator. You sack the World Shaper. And what happens? I get all my lands back oh. um, from my graveyard Oh. into play. That's a problem. Yeah, World Shaper is a really good card, by the way. You should probably run it if you're in green. Uh, if you're not in green, you can play things like Crucible of Worlds. Yes, uh, there are cards that you can play not in green. Um, if you're not in green, it becomes a lot harder uh, yeah, to come back from it. Generally, if you're not in green, you're going to be wanting to play things preemptively as yep. opposed to reactively. Yep. Um, so that's things like playing Avacyn, for example, mm-hmm. um, to just make all of your shit indestructible. Avacyn is the reason I run exile cards and shuffle into the graveyard cards yeah. in my deck. Yeah, Chaos Warp, that kind of stuff. Yep. Um, because that can just be, for a deck like Mass Land Destruction, that can just be 
it'll shut you down. When I was playing in my old meta, I had a friend who had an Avacyn deck, and that thing was the bane of my fucking existence. Yeah. Avacyn can be gross, by the way. Yeah. Um, another thing you can do, uh, another way just to get around it, is you can play things like Mycosynth Lattice and, uh, what is it, Dark Steel Forge? Yeah, Dark Steel Forge. Dark Steel Forge. Um, and that makes all permanents into artifacts. And <laughs> Which then, means that uh, when it destroys all artifacts, in addition, mm-hmm. it destroys everything. Right, but then you play Darksteel Forge, which makes all your artifacts indestructible. Yep. yep. So it's kind of like having an Avacyn, but it's on two cards. Yep. Um, and one thing that I want to say while I'm here is don't play cards that are going to make your deck worse just because you're preparing or trying to hedge your bets against something like mass land destruction. Absolutely. Uh, you really, really, really don't want to make your deck bad because you're super paranoid about all these other like weird fringe cases and different strategies that other people are going to be playing. Obviously, it's okay to tech in a couple smaller cards if they're in your colors mm-hmm. or if they're colorless like Crucible of Worlds. Exactly. But um, don't decrease the power of your deck like significantly because you're scared of something like mass land destruction. And remember that mass land destruction deck has built with the counters to it in mind. Yeah. A good mass land destruction player knows the things that turn them off. Right. And they're going to build to counter your counter. They're going to have chaos warp. Yep. Uh, They're going to have things that exile. They're going to have... Scour from existence and Nulamog. Yeah, exactly. Um, they're going to have ways to get around it. You, again, that's not to discourage you from playing those cards because it's still important if you know there is a mass land destruction deck in your meta. You should still play the cards that can answer them because you don't want to just give them a free win. Yep. But don't, again, decrease the power of your deck because you're scared. Absolutely. Um, so moving on to how to play with a bad mass land destruction player. Yeah. Um... You gotta have tough conversations. <clears throat> yeah. You've got to be willing to go up to that player, the person who thinks it's funny, and say, dude, this is not funny. The person who only has the MLD deck say, dude, you gotta build another deck. Like, you can find a $25 deck list online. Exactly. You know, just build something other than this so people don't hate you. Exactly. You... Tough conversations are the lifeblood of casual commander. You have to be willing to deal with the people in your meta who are problematic. And you need to be able to be compassionate in these conversations. And again, 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 we're going to come back to this. Commander is bigger than just one game. Yeah. People are going to remember the decks that you play and the cards that you play in those decks. They don't just forget. Even if you take those things out of your deck, they're still going to remember, and they're still going to know you as that guy if you let it get to that point. So, open dialogue. Open a dialogue with the player. Don't just kick them. Don't just outright ban a perfectly good strategy in your meta. Open a dialogue first, kick as a last resort and be nice in the open dialogue exactly don't be like yo like you're what the fuck are you doing you're a dick we don't want to play with you anymore like don't do that be like hey 
we need to talk to you about the deck that you run and the way that you play it. Because we still want to play with you. You seem like a cool person. But the deck, it's not super fun to play against, man. Like, do you think you could change a couple of the cards in there? Maybe make it win a little bit differently? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe make it win faster. Put win us faster, on the clock. Yeah. Um, or another thing, if we're talking about, we can talk about power level of a deck. Mm-hmm. Tune it down. Yep. Run less tutors. Yep. You know, something like that. It can be easy as that. And then that person, hopefully, will get the message and then try to change their deck. Exactly. And if they are willing to change, you need to be willing to let them. Yes, you will remember the cards that are in their deck, but if they say they're going to change, take them at their word. Yeah. Because, worst case scenario, they don't change, and then kick them out of your playgroup. Nobody needs that kind of negativity. If they are unwilling to change, if they say they're going to change and then don't, and don't have a good excuse for why they didn't... Press that button. Destroy their lands. Yeah. Get them out of your playgroup. Say bye. Yeah. Bye, not, Felicia. Not playing with your toxic ass, exactly. dude. Exactly. The other thing is that you're going to need to have tough conversations with people, even if they're not playing mass land destruction. Yes, you will. There are other strategies that people can do incorrectly that can make the game less fun. And that's a lot of what we're going to cover in our yeah. podcast. Because we want to try and destigmatize, one, a lot of those strategies. We want to be a terrible influence on you. Right, because <laughs> we want people to play them. Yes. But we also like want to have fun when we yeah, go to you exactly. know, Friday Night Magic and play Commander or whatever. So we still want people to play those strategies. We just want them to do it right so that people don't get upset. Exactly. So that's Mass Land Destruction in a nutshell. You need to lock and clock if you're going to do this. Seriously. You need to create a hard lock and present a fast clock if you're going to do this. If you can't do that, you need to present overwhelming resource advantage and give your opponents the option to leave that game. Yeah, they should be allowed to scoop. Um, A good, well-built mass land destruction deck should also run very similarly to a combo deck. Yes, it should. It should win very quickly. It should be building up resources, and then you play one or two cards that let you win the game basically right then. Yep. Um, the other thing that you need to keep in mind is that politics and your table image are vitally important if you're running a deck like yes, this. Yes, they are. Uh, you don't want this to be your first deck. You don't want it to be your only deck. And you want to build up a rapport and an image before you begin playing a deck like this. Please, please do not make this your first deck. Don't make it your second deck, especially if your first deck was worse. <laughs> I am speaking from experience here. Yeah. If you want to play this strategy and it's a good strategy to play, you need to have good table image. You need to express yourself to the group as a fun person to play with. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely, man. Because with Mass Land Destruction and a lot of the strategies and archetypes that we're going to be going over uh, in later episodes, they're not always that fun to play against. No. So you need to be a good person and play them well and play them correctly to keep the playgroup because if you lose your playgroup you just don't play magic anymore exactly and, and then that's what's no the fun. point of running these strategies yeah it's just pointless <laughs> you need to be fun in the way that you play these strategies too you need to be 
laughing and bantering the whole time. You need to be like, I got my finger on the button. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you need to be able to make it fun and accept defeat graciously. Yeah. Um, We've said it a couple times. Don't be a dick. Yeah. Don't be a dick. Like, it's honest to God, not that hard. No. You know, just don't be a dick. I think the world would be a better place if everybody knew that. (laughs) Yeah. So, again, we're here to be a bad influence on you. We want you to run these strategies. They are not necessarily fun strategies, but you should run them because they're fun to play. And they're very powerful. Yeah. Do it. It's, like, really fun. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, that's it for today. Um, Well, Cam, uh, where can they find us on social media? On social media, you can find us on Twitter at InsideJohnny'sM1. Uh, you also can find us on Tapped Out under the names Akia and The Kill Switch. Those links will be in the description or wherever links can be. Uh, and then also you can uh, email us at InsideJohnny'sMind. That's Johnny with one M at gmail.com. All righty. Well, that's all we have for today. Thanks for listening. I hope we've been a terrible influence on your playgroup. See you next month. And may you draw lands and spells. 